0: Months now. And so we are at John chapter 6, and I want to I want to read a, a couple of verses in bracket, a long conversation. We're going to come back to this exact same passage next Sunday. But John chapter 6, look at verse number 15 if you would. The Bible said the Jews marveled, at saying, I, I'm sorry, in chapter 7, chapter 6, verse 15, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king. Look over in verse number 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? You know, in John chapter six, the great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 takes place. And then everything afterward in this chapter is a, Reaction or a response to that miracle it was late in the evening when Jesus fed the multitude, and then sometime that evening Jesus escapes from the crowd and goes into a mountain to pray. He instructs his disciples to get into a boat, go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, where he would presumably meet them at a later period and Of course, you know that a storm arose during that time it gets dark there's a storm the Disciples are rowing, they're toiling, they're getting nowhere. Jesus comes walking on the sea. And the Bible says that immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Immediately they are over on the other side. We don't know really what happened to the multitude that was left behind, but they had to disperse somewhere for the night. And then the next day they come back out to that same site and they discover that Jesus and the disciples have disappeared. The boats are gone, the men are gone, Jesus is gone. And so what you have is you have a crowd that is seeking Jesus. They have come trying to find him. They discover that he's gone. They do some investigation and they go all the way around the Sea of Galilee to the other side to Capernaum where he's at. And then the rest of the chapter is taken up with a conversation or a series of conversations between this multitude and the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm going to get into the conversation next week. I'm not going to deal with that this morning, but the subject very quickly becomes about bread. That would be natural because the day before he had performed this miracle that involves bread and fish and he presents himself as the bread of life. It's one of the great I am statements of the gospel of John. I am the bread of life which came down from heaven. And that statement is going to cause some confusion with them, but then it's going to become offensive to them. And a huge multitude that at the beginning of the day wants to make him king, at the end of the day end up walking away from him wanting nothing to do with him. In verse number 15 we read they are wanting to take him by force and make him a king. At the end of the chapter in verse number 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. That's an amazing turn of events. To seek the Lord one day and to forsake him the next. We are ready to swear allegiance to you. We believe that you are the one man who can can deliver our nation. We esteem you worthy enough to wear a crown. And the next day they're so offended at his words that they turn their back and they walk away. And Jesus knew all of that. If you'll look in verse number 26, in verse 26, Jesus says to them, he says, verily, verily, I say to you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. In other words, Jesus says, you are seeking me only for what you can get out of me. You're not here for me. You are actually here for you. And when Jesus exposed the motives of their heart and the true nature of his kingdom, they didn't want anything more to do with him. They weren't interested in him, they didn't love him, they didn't worship him, they, they didn't care about his word, they saw him as just somebody that can get us out of the political mess that we are in under the yoke of Rome. And can I tell you that the world is full of people just like that? Yes, sir. The world is full of religious people just like that. Yes, there are people who choose religion for their own good. They look at religion like a buffet. Take a little bit of that, take a little bit of that. I don't want any of that. And just pick and choose. And they choose the brand of religion that they feel will benefit them the most. And what they're doing is they're following the Lord for nothing more than loaves and fishes. It is religion for what I can get out of it. And here's the thing. When Jesus doesn't do what they expect, when Jesus doesn't meet their demands, Then they quickly fall out of favor without whatever religion they have adopted. But I want you to know that Jesus is not here to serve you. We are here to serve him. In the last couple of years, there has been attention given to people who leave the faith and they're called deconstructed. They have deconstructed from the faith. That's a term for somebody who's grown up in the church for for, for decades and then they decide to leave church and they leave Christianity entirely and the term is that they have deconstructed that that's the new fad we've watched young people that have left um, fundamentalism and, and 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 a Baptist church and go to a more a, a more liberal or a more progressive church and leave the standards and the separation and things that they were brought up under I look back over the 29 years that I have been here and, and there's, there's a lot of people that sat in the same pew that you are sitting in but they don't even go to church anymore now. They never darken the doors of a church. People who sang in the choir, people who sang in the church and people who said amen and people who, who said, that, boy, we, we are one of the chosen few and now they have nothing to do with God. They have no testimony. They have no church life. They have no walk with God. In fact, I look out over the congregation even now. We got a lot of people that are missing today, and that's all right. But I look out over the congregation even now, and I wonder how many are sitting here will one day not even darken the doors of church. You say, oh, it can never happen to me. Oh, be careful. Be careful. You don't know what the devil can put in your heart. You don't know what can happen to offend you and cause you to leave. What a great perplexity that someone can claim him as Lord today and refuse to serve him tomorrow. Will ye also go away? That's what the Lord asked the disciples. When I think about that possibility of leaving the Lord, there's really, there's really three ways that it can happen. And the first is that it can happen doctrinally. Sometimes a person leaves the faith and becomes infidel in his beliefs. The Bible word for that is apostasy. He is apostatized from the faith. He is treated as an unbeliever or a heretic in the faith. And when that happens, we have good reason to question whether that person was ever saved or not. Now, I don't believe that a person can lose his salvation. But I know that a person can play a good religious game without ever being saved. They can leave doctrinally, but then, But then a person can leave the Lord spiritually. That's when they don't leave the church in body, but the heart has left a long time ago. You can grow cold and and spiritual and apathetic in your life because of spiritual neglect and, and church and the things of God. They don't hold dear for you anymore, and you're still coming, and you're still sitting in the pew, but there's nothing precious about it at all. The outward remains pretty much the same. But religion is just a facade. There's no power in your life. You can leave spiritually but then but then i think practically that's when the feet follows the heart the person decides i'm just done with church and for practical purposes there is no spiritual activity in this life there's no church there's no prayer there's no bible reading and there's people that sit in our church and the only christian activity that they have is sitting in the church pew and listening to a preacher preach for about 30 or 40 minutes on a Sunday morning, and that's all. And I tell you that if that's your spirituality, if that's your level of Christianity, it won't be long before you won't even do that. Well, that's the only activity that you have. When you're already halfway out the door, it won't be long before you are always out the door. And I'll tell you that no matter how it happens, it's always a terrible thing. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, he said, Now, after that you've known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bond. Paul was perplexed that the Galatians could be set free from idolatry, but yet want to go right back to that old system. You've been set free from, from Judaism and you want to go back to those beggarly elements when you have tasted the goodness of God. How could you ever have a taste for the world? If you have known the sweet serenity in following the Lord, why would you ever walk away from Him? That's, that's what perplexed Paul. And it's against that backdrop that I, I want to examine this scene with you. And here's the question that I, I want to ask and answer is, why do some start with Christ but don't stay with Christ? Why do people ever leave church? Well, why do people that once seemingly had a thriving spiritual life, well, what, hap- what happens that they just, they just abandon it and, and walk away from it? How, how does somebody say, I want you as my king? And the next day, said, so I don't have anything to do with you. And I think there's several characteristics found in this chapter. Come back to verse number one. I'll tell you the first one is, is, is they are attracted by the crowd. Look at verse number one. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that was disease. Now, th- this is the end of the Galilean ministry. Period of time about eighteen months in his ministry is in Galilee. He's performed hundreds of miracles around the Sea of Galilee, around Capernaum. It, it-, it, is-, it is no stretch of the imagination that everybody in Galilee knows his name and they, are, they they know about the works that he's performing. His his popularity is at an all time high. Everywhere that he goes in Galilee, he is followed by a large crowd because the world had never seen a man that can heal diseases and conquer devils and control nature and, and raise the dead. Right. And when there's a lot of people talking about Jesus, then it's really easy for you and I to talk about Jesus too. Right. When the entire village goes out to see Jesus, then it's really easy just to follow the village and go out to see Jesus right. as well. When the throne says that we want him to be our king, then the mob mentality says, well, we want him to be our king as well and just to kind of go along with it because everybody else is saying it. And sometimes people have an initial attraction to Christianity because it's the thing to do. Look at the rise of megachurches all over, not just America, but all over the world. I mean, there's churches, there's churches this morning that have 20, 30, 40,000 people in attendance. The appeal of the Joel Osteens and the T.D. Jakes and the Stephen Ferticks, they've got tens of thousands of people attending their church, but, but many of those people are there because it's cool. It's attractive. It's popular. You've got the program that I'm looking for. And by the way, whenever Christianity is made attractive to the world, there will be some that wants to join for the attraction as long as you don't make any demands of their life. But I want to caution you against anything Christian that the world is in love with. When the world approves it, When the world puts their stamp of approval on something that is supposedly Christian, be careful, there's something wrong with it. When Hollywood produces a movie about Jesus Christ and the world that hates Christ loves the movie, there's something wrong with the movie. Yeah. I'm thankful for any celebrity that gets saved, but Jesus doesn't need. A celebrity endorsement. We get so excited at the professional football player that says a good word for God as if God needs some star, some movie star, to endorse him. He doesn't need an endorsement. Are we okay with that? And some people get attracted to the crowd. They're enamored by what's popular. I tell you what's not popular preaching on sin and judgment, repentance, and holiness. That's not very popular. That's why we don't ever have to worry about about, about being a mega church. (laughs) As long as we're going to preach that stuff, you don't have to worry about it. We're we're a growing church, and and sometimes we have to sit on each other's lap if we want to be in here. That's all right. But you don't have to worry about getting too big. Because there, 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 there are some people that are looking for church. This is not the brand that they are looking for. But I would rather have a handful of people that love God and want to live right and want to have some holiness in their life and raise their family for God instead of have a mega church full of folks who see church as just one big social club. They are attracted by the crowd. But then secondly, they are drawn to the spectacular. I I will reread the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Any miracle is spectacular. But I'm going to tell you feeding 5,000 like he did Man, that is sensational. They'd never seen anything like that. It's the only miracle mentioned in all four Gospels. It's the only miracle that involves, well, it's not the only, it's one of the two miracles that involves so many people at one time. I mean, you can fake a miracle to one person. How are you gonna fake it to 5,000 people? There's no denying of what he did. And so you can imagine the buzz and the excitement when they, when they saw this and they came out. They didn't come out to hear his truth. They came out hoping to see another miracle. And as long as he is performing miracles, then you can't fit them on the mountainside. But when he begins preaching to them, they start to scatter. They, they are drawn to the spectacular. Several years ago, we had a lady visit our church and, and uh, she visited the time to asked that I, I come see her. And so I went to visit her in her house. She came from a charismatic background. She began to question me about miracles and signs and wonders and the apostolic age and all of that. And what she wanted to do, she wanted to tell me about her visions and the miracles that she had seen. She was so enamored with the supernatural and the miracles and the healings and the speaking in tongues. She was coming to church looking for something spectacular. Something sensational, something exciting, something miraculous. But here we just preach and sing, we preach and sing, and we preach and sing, and the preaching and the singing was not enough. She wanted the spectacular to expire to, to inspire her, her dead heart. Did you know, did you know in the Bible when God performed miracles in the Old Testament, when Jesus performed miracles in the New Testament, did you know there was a purpose for the miracles? The purpose for the miracles was not for miracles sake. The purpose of the miracle was to get people's attention so they can listen to the Word of God. In fact, John 20, he says many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. These are written. Why? That he might believe. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Miracles always authenticate the messenger, but it is the revelation that is the most important thing. You know why you don't need miracles? I'll tell you why. Because you're holding in your lap one of the greatest miracles ever. It's the word of God. You don't need a miracle because you have a revelation. And if you don't believe the revelation, then you won't believe if a miracle is performed. That's what Abraham said to the rich man in paradise. He said, let them hear Moses and the prophets. If they won't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe. Though one rose from the dead, even if they see a miracle, they won't believe if they won't believe what was written. The children of Israel saw the miracles of Moses. and The whole generation died in the wilderness in unbelief. The nation that saw the miracles of Elijah and Elisha, they apostatized and turned to idols. The generation that saw the miracles of Jesus, they didn't believe his message because miracles never produce faith. They can't. What they're intended to do is to point, the, they are intended to point to the truth, but it is the truth that produces faith as the Spirit energizes it. Faith does not come through sight. Faith comes through hearing. And so you hear charismatics say, well, God has a miracle for you today. No, he does not. He has a word for you today. Amen. And even, even, there are even some churches that are built on sensation, even in some Baptist churches. They don't believe that God moved if we didn't shout it out. And I, I, I've never been impressed with a church that wants to sing for 45 minutes and shout it out, and everybody gets dead during the preaching. Yes. Your faith has to have something sensational. It's not going to hold strong when the trials come. It is the Word of God that builds the soul. Yes. And so they're attracted by the crowd, and they're drawn by the spectacular. But then this crowd is focused on the temporal. Look at verse 14. Then these men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. What a strange way to coronate a king. Yes, You'd think they'd bow down to him. Right. They would pay homage to him. But their plan is we are going to kidnap him. We are going to force him to be our king. Which begs the question, who's in charge here? Who who is actually serving who? Because these people only have two things on mind. The only two things in their mind is liberty from the Roman yoke and free bread. If Jesus can help us throw off the Romans rule and if he can give us free bread then he can be our king. Think of how wonderful life will be if he gives us all of these things and even if he doesn't want to, even if this is not his will, we are going to make him do what we want him to do. This is the king that we want, one who serves us. There's no consideration for the doctrine that he's preaching. There's no consideration for a spiritual kingdom. There's no consideration for his glory, his honor, his will. Now we're going to force him to be our king. We're going to twist his arm. We're going to manipulate the situation. We're going to make him do what we want him to do. And I tell you that the woods are full of people who tried Jesus and said it didn't work. And what they meant is I tried Jesus, but I still got sick. I tried Jesus, but I still lost my job. And I tried Jesus, but I don't have any, money, any more money now than I did when I started the charismatics, the charismatics, and I'm not preaching against them, but the charismatic movement has, has fed that mentality toward God. And they preach that you can write your ticket with God and you can even make demands of God. Some of the most blasphemous things ever said comes out of the mouth of charismatic preachers. Men like Kenneth Copeland and, and, and Jesse Duplantis and T.D. And, and, and Jakes and Benny Hinn and, and all the rest of them. And the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, it appeals to to people, but it makes no demands. All that it makes demand of is faith. But there's no demand of holiness. There's no demand of devotion or dedication to Christ. It just promises that if you have faith enough, that you'll be rich and healthy. But the name it, claim it religion, it is hucksterism at its best is what it is. And what they're doing is they are preying on people's carnal desires and a desire for things to get more blessings. And all that it does is it promotes, promotes greed instead of godliness. And I won't get into their theology, but basically they turn God into a Santa Claus type figure who is just there to give you more stuff and I hate to be the bearer of bad news it is not God's will for every Christian to be rich and to be healthy Mindy Frederick came over Friday morning and there was a couple of us men here and she had asked us to pray for her and so she came in and, and we sat in the bookstore and we laid hands on her anointed with oil and we prayed for God to heal her and I told Mindy on Friday I said I'm going to be honest with you there's a lot of things I don't understand I don't understand why some good people get cancer and some bad people don't get cancer I don't understand why God heals some people and some people he takes them. I don't understand there is a there is a mystery to the sovereignty and the providence of God, but it is not God's will for every sick person to be healed, and it is not God's will for every Christian to be healthy. He has promised to supply our needs, but not all of our wants. And you may serve God and live and die without a dollar to your name. That's right. Yes, sir. They're focused on just the temple. But you are not going to twist God's arm and get him to serve you. That they wanted to make him king, not for them to serve him, but for him to serve them. Not because they believed that he was worthy of worship, but they believed that he could give them what they wanted. And if you come to Jesus thinking that he is a genie to grant your three wishes, you are coming for the wrong reason. That's what Jesus said in verse 26. I'll read it to you again. He said, "Ye seek me not because he saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. You are so taken with perishing food. You are so earthly bound. You're not seeking me. You are seeking more food. And if your focus is on the temporal, you'll become disillusioned with Christ and you'll walk away. They're focused on the temporal. Why did they walk away? It's because they have no personal relationship. Look at verse number 35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast down. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. I, I, I'm going to go into the conversation next week, but here's what Jesus does. He turns the conversation toward himself. And because there had just been a miracle involving bread, he uses that to present himself as the bread of life. And here's the gist of the conversation we'll see next week. The gist of the conversation is that you don't need more physical bread. What you need is spiritual bread. And Jesus makes very strong claims about himself. He says, I am the one that is sent down from heaven. I am the one that can satisfy your hunger. I am the one that you must believe on. I am the one that can give you everlasting life. And it's a very personal thing. And here's what he says. It is not a thing that you need. It is me that you need. You want me to provide more things for you. But what you need to know is you need to know me. You want a demonstration of my power and my provision. But you could have me. He says, come to me. Believe in me. Find fulfillment in me. You can have a personal relationship with me that is as intimate as eating bread. I am the bread of life. And it's a striking omission in this entire narrative that it never says that they worshipped him in John chapter 6. The Jews in Jerusalem were antagonistic against him and didn't want him as their king. The Jews in Galilee wanted him as their king, but for the wrong reason, for what we can get out of it. and They didn't follow Jesus because they wanted him. They followed Jesus for what they could get out of him. I've been a Christian for 47 years. got saved in September 1976. And when I got saved, I I didn't come looking for a handout. I just wanted to be saved. I knew I was a sinner. I knew he was a savior. I didn't want to go to hell. And I just got saved because I believed in him. I didn't understand half then of what I know now. And I didn't expect him to be as good to me As he's been. And the greatest blessing, the greatest blessing has not been what he's given me, though he's given me a lot. The greatest blessing is who he is to me. The joy of the Christian life is wrapped up in knowing Jesus, not getting more stuff from Jesus. And I tell you that if you are if you are in love with Jesus and you have a personal walk with him, then, then that faith is something that is sustainable and it sustains you. And some people, when they're not in love with the Lord, they get bitter at God when God doesn't meet their expectations or their demands and you pray for healing. But would you love Jesus if healing never came? Would it be okay with you if you served the Lord all of your life and never found riches and all the things? Would that be okay? They're focused on the temporal. I'll give you the fifth characteristic of these and then I'll, I'll be finished. But they develop a critical spirit. Look at verse 41. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? Once they realize that Jesus is not dedicated to their demands, they become very dismissive and they become critical of him. Disillusioned and then critical. They become scorners. It's not just unbelief, but it is scorn. He says that he came down from heaven. We know who his mother and father are. We know, we know who Joseph. We know he came from Nazareth. How does he say that he came down from heaven? And over the years, we have witnessed a number of people that leave church, leave Christianity, and in order to justify their leaving, they become critical of the church. You ever notice that nobody ever leaves the church because of their fault? Don't know if it's ever happened. Every time somebody leaves the church, there was something wrong with the church. There was a fault with the church. I know young people that grew up in a Christian environment and then left it. And then became scorners. It became their mission of life to destroy what they once grew up in. They make it their mission to try to destroy the church that they left. They become critical in their spirit. So the scene opens up with people seeking the Lord. That's generally a good thing. But why are you seeking the Lord? Why are you in church this morning? Why are you pursuing a relationship with God? Why do you associate yourself with the things of Christianity? Do you believe Christ, devoted to Him, want to live for Him? Or are you just looking for some stuff? Satan accused Job of 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 serving God only because of what God had given him. And God had blessed him greatly. So God said, well, let's see. Let's just take all the stuff away. And we'll see what is in Job's heart. And I wonder if God took all of our stuff away. I wonder if it would reveal what is in our heart. May we not love God for what we can get out of him. But may we love God because He is worthy to be loved and worshiped and praised. May we love Jesus Christ and devote our life to Him, whether He gives us a better life and takes our problems away or He does not. but may we worship Him because He is our Savior and our Lord. We used to get phone calls to the church all the time. We don't get them hardly anymore. We used to get phone calls to the church. People asking for handouts. We've helped a great number of people, even strangers that we didn't know. We've had people ask, can you pay our electric bill? Can you give us some gas, money, groceries? The one I always love more than anybody, somebody called and asked if we pay their cable bill. <laughs> we didn't, by the way. You live without that. But it's a hundred to one asking for physical needs over spiritual needs. You know, nobody's ever called and said, hey, could you tell me how I could have eternal life? Right. Because what the world wants out of the church in Christ is a belly full of bread and help paying their bills. But what does it matter what kind of life you have if you spend eternity in hell? Will you also go away?